it was very nice to have a, a few weeks away, but I knew that I was gone long enough when at the 815 service, I forgot to do the offering. So <laughs> I'm getting back in the groove here at 930 service, I hope. Our text for today is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And it's a wonderful text that really is a, a, in just a brief few words, sums up the good news of Jesus Christ and gives us a phrase that could be a mantra for our life, a little guiding phrase if we can remember in times of struggle or anxiety or decision. If we can remember these words. It'll be a blessing to us. Let's stand together as we hear these words of Scripture. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, that, Je that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, I think verse 15 is kind of a great mantra for our lives. I don't know if you've ever used that discipline in your life of having a phrase or a, a word that helps you focus or helps you uh, calm down or helps you find some peace during a difficult time. For many years, I had uh, a real struggle with pain from a back injury for about 15 years. And sometimes it would be so bad that I would be... Uh, pretty much just incapacitated, find it hard to walk. I've done weddings about this, been over like this, and not, didn't look good in the pictures at all, those wedding pictures. Uh, difficult things through the years, and when it would be at its worst, I would find that if I could just get in a quiet place and, and say something over and over, it would help calm my spirit and slow my breath and help me find a little peace and eventually fall asleep or catch a moment of peace. I, I would say uh, statements from religious uh, literature, from music that I'd sung uh, over the years. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And just say that over and over and find peace. That's what a, a mantra does for us. Well, it's been on my bucket list since longer than I can remember to go to Rome and to go to the Vatican and to go to St. Peter's Basilica, that great, beautiful church. And Melody and I were blessed to be able to mark that off our list on our vacation. And we booked a private tour for St. Peter's Church. And there were 12 of us in this tour. 
there were four of us that were of a certain age. I won't say what that age is, but we were of a certain age. Everyone else was young in their 20s. One teenager, because one of the other couples of a certain age brought their grandson with them. So there were all these young people and, and four of us not so young people. We get to a certain point in the tour and the guide says, now we will pause here for a while and those of you who want to climb the dome of St. Peter's uh, will do so. There's a, between the walls of that great dome, there's a spiral that goes around that takes you up to the top and you come out and you can look out over Rome. And being a good guide and wanting to uh, not be open to litigation, they described it in horrifying detail to try to discourage you from doing it. They said, now there's, you know, 600 and something steps, and it's very close in there. There's not much room between those walls, and the temperatures were well into the 90s, so it's going to be really, really miserably hot in there. So if you're claustrophobic at all, don't do this. And if you have any heart condition or anything, you probably don't want to do this. And if you don't feel you're in pretty good shape, you probably don't want to do this. And so she said, okay, who wants to do it? Well, everyone in the group, except the four of us of a certain age, said, I'm in. And I thought to myself, I cannot let that stand. So I said, I'm in too. And so off we go. Now, I have to say that was an honest tour guide. It was very close in there, and it was very, very hot in there, and those stairs never quit coming. It just went on forever. And I found myself very quickly thinking of all the things I wish the tour guide would have said or done in this little meeting before I started this. I wish one thing she would have said, it's going to be hot and close and it's claustrophobic, and if you're this guy's size, don't even think about doing it. But she didn't do that. And then I thought it'd been great if they had one of those little cutouts of a man who holds his hands up and says, if you aren't this tall, you can't ride this ride. But it would say, if you're taller than this, you can't ride this ride. And then I had a brainstorm. I thought this would be perfect. They could have one of those things like at the gates at the airport that has a little uh, outline of luggage, and you put your luggage in there. And if it's bigger than that, it's not a carry-on. And I thought they could have a big human-sized one with an outline, and you could just stand in front of it, and they'd say, no, you're not, you gotta, we got to check you. You ain't going, big boy. You know. But they didn't do any of that. So I'm climbing sideways, bent over because it's too much of a curve, and sweating and just thinking, well, I hope I live to regret this decision, you know. <laughs> And as I'm going, I'm thinking about, of course, I'm always in my mind working on my next sermon. And so my mantra for the climb was, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me, this I know. I don't know if that had been comforting or horrifying to the other people that are climbing with me, but I'm thinking, Jesus loves me, this I know. And if I don't make it, I'm halfway there already. And it couldn't hurt saying Jesus over and over when I'm passing from this life to the next. Well, I made it, obviously, and came down and was quite uh, proud that I had represented those of a certain age well on the thing. This, um, this text is a powerful statement 
of the gospel, and it gives us a phrase, a mantra that will change our lives. The writer begins by remembering who they used to be. I was a blasphemer. Jesus' mind, blaspheming meant you saw what God was doing and you said it was bad, you said it was evil. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a man of violence. But here's what changed my life, the writer says. The mercy of God that overflowed toward me in the love of Jesus. That's what changed my life. The mercy of God overflowing from the love of Jesus. And then comes that wonderful phrase, eight little words in the Greek writing that sums up everything we believe about the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. What beautiful words. What powerful words. Then he says, this is sure, and it's worthy of full acceptance. You can count on this. This is the truth. This is the real thing. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the best news you're ever going to hear, and you can count. But I believe when I read this passage, every time I read this passage, that the most important words, the key phrase in this passage comes after that mantra. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of, which, of whom I am foremost. Of whom I am foremost. I'm the one in most desperate need of that. I'm the one who is the most helpless in my sin. I'm the one who needs God to do for me something that I could never do for myself. When we place ourselves as the worst, as the foremost, or as the King James Version, which I memorized this in growing up, says, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief, when we understand the depth of our need, that is what opens up to us the new life in Christ Jesus. That's what opens up to us the opportunity to live the abundant life in the love of Jesus Christ. Why do I think that's the most important phrase? Because this understanding of our need changes us. It changes how we see ourselves and it changes how we see each other for the rest of our life. To understand that we're all in the same boat, this boat full of sinners, to understand we're all in the same boat saves us from our tendency to want to judge others and exalt ourselves. To understand this phrase is to understand that it takes just as much love and grace to save me as it does to save the people I have the most trouble with 
the most bias against, the least understanding of. To understand that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost frees us to experience a new life in Jesus Christ. And it opens up to us this life of service and discipleship that lets other people come to know Jesus' love through us. Karl Barth was one of the greatest theological thinkers of the 20th century. I like to think of him as the James Patterson of uh, theological writers. He wrote some 600 books. It's like, oh, it's Tuesday, time for another book. You know, he wrote another book. And his crowning uh, uh, work is called Church Dogmatics, the most famous book no one's ever read. And when he died in 1968, it was unfinished. He'd only managed to write 13 volumes of this book. This was not a man of few words. He was a man of great faith and of keen insight and of great intellect. But he was not a man of few words. And the story is told when he visited America in 1962. He had given a lecture at a seminary in Chicago. And at the question and answer time, a young seminarian did what we all do when we're young seminarians, and that's try to be cute and funny. And someone asked him, well, doctor, can you sum up your faith in one sentence? This was not a guy who could do anything in one sentence. And the story says he paused for a moment and he looked at the person and he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Of all the things he had tried to say about what God did for us in Jesus, was summed up in that simple phrase, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That is the most important thing we can ever learn. It's the one thing that will change our lives. Jesus loves me, this I know. This text reminds me, and it needs to remind me every time I read it, that if I think there's anything else the Bible says that's more important than that, I just don't get it. This text reminds me that if I embrace that truth and it does not humble me, I just don't get it. Every time I read this text, I'm reminded that if I think Jesus loves me because of any of my own righteousness I bring to the table, I just don't get it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Is there anything more beautiful is there anything more powerful that we can hear from God's heart to ours than that? So let us every day say yes to the love of Jesus. Let us every day say yes to the call to discipleship in our life. 
every day let us say yes to the opportunity to serve in ways that change people's lives and witness to that love so they too can come to know Jesus loves them. Jesus loves me, this I know. Thanks be to God. Amen.